Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you troubled by stale podcasts in the middle of the night? Do you love films that feature the busting of spooks, specters, or ghosts? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Ghostbusters Resurrection is an RPG audio drama combining tabletop gaming and cinematic paranormal elimination adventures. Call the professionals at nerdyshow.com slash ghostbusters. We're ready to believe you. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, We've got it covered. Hey, this is Cap, and I'm recording inside of a closet right now. For acoustic reasons, I'm not hiding from anybody. I'm in Nashville at the moment because Nerdy Show co-host Colin and I are going to go see Weird Al Yankovic on a tour we've been dreaming about for a long time, one where he's not playing any of the songs he's known for to the world at large. He's playing his originals that only diehard fans are super into, and we never thought this day would come, so we're all super excited. Anyway, that's not at all what this episode is about. Maybe next episode. Time will tell. But I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, and last month I was in Raleigh, North Carolina at North Carolina Comic Con, Oak City. We were there with Lightning Dogs, Nerdy Show's in-development animated series. It's a little bit of Ninja Turtles meets Mad Max. And we were in great company because we were there alongside Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman, current Ninja Turtles writer Tom Waltz, Ninja Turtle artist Ben Bishop, and Eric Burnham, best known for writing Ghostbusters, but who's also written some very important Ninja Turtle miniseries. So I hosted a bunch of panels, including one with Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, and Ben Bishop, which we released as an episode of Nerdy Show. We'll link to it on this episode's page if you haven't caught it yet. We talk about the history of Turtles, the process of relaunching the series when Nickelodeon bought the property from Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, and a lot of the highs and lows of all the various iterations of Ninja Turtles. Immediately following that panel, we put on another Turtles panel, a weirder Turtles panel. It was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, named after the Palladium role-playing book from the 80s. And that was myself, Tom Waltz, and Eric Burnham flipping through those role-playing guides and also playing with a bunch of the strangest action figures which I had brought from my personal childhood collection. Because it's one of the nerd things I love the most, we've done a fair amount of Ninja Turtles episodes over the years here on Nerdy Show, including an interview with the director of the original Turtles film, Steve Barron, a prior conversation with Kevin Eastman, and a massive tell-all with Steve Murphy, a.k.a. Dean Clarain, responsible for writing what was, up until recently, the longest-running Ninja Turtles comic ever, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures. That has only recently been surpassed by Tom Waltz's series at IDW. 
one of the things I love most about the Turtles is how the order of the day when it comes to telling stories about these characters are make it as strange as humanly possible. There's a phrase in writing called double mumbo jumbo where an idea won't fly if, say, you're mixing magic with science fiction at the same time. Like, it's too much. And that can be true from time to time, but the Turtles are gloriously too much all the time. And the parameters of their universe, how the characters interact with one another, it all changes based on the many different ways that this story has been told over the years. So the objective of this panel was for Tom, Eric, and I to sit down and only talk about the dankest, weirdest turtle stuff out there. Welcome to TMNT and Other Strangeness. Thanks for being the, uh, the brave few to journey here into what is going to be an extremely deep well <laughs> down the manhole cover and into the sewer of nostalgia. <laughs> to my right is Tom Waltz, writer of the IDW Minstrel series, and Eric Burnham, who has done some amazing Turtles work, including The Secret History of the Foot Clan, a defining book in the new yes, IDW series. So. Obviously, the Ninja Turtles in the history of this franchise has gone through many different mutations. And boy, there's some strange things out there. Yes. Speaking personally, as someone who maybe like five when the animated special debuted, right. it opened a, a wellspring because it was just as manic as a child's fever dream. Mm -hmm. Kevin and Peter, the creators of the Turtles, they had nothing holding them back. They were no. making a book for themselves when it was a comic book. Mm -hmm. And from there, made the incredible George Lucas-like decision to mandate, if you're doing an animated series, we have to have a degree of control. Yes. And what they created in the wake of that was their publishing house, Mirage Publishing, turned into a family of creators who were all completely unhinged, all in one place working together to just make crazy ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, Marvel calls themselves the house of ideas, but that's like, there's a limit on that. These guys had no limit. They were sending ideas to Playmates toys all the time, and Playmates had their own approval, and the show had its own approval. But it's this thing about, if you go to a Target now and look at the action figure aisle, there's nothing even remotely resembling Scumbug. <laughs> and Mutagen Man is the, is the stuff of legend at this point. It's, it's defined whole artist careers of like, mm. I want to get to the point where I can make something as grotesque and weird as that. <laughs> We're going to be talking about our favorite mutations of the Ninja Turtles here from absolutely everywhere. Tom, your first exposure to the Turtles, what was it? Actually, it's funny that these game books are up here, these role-playing games. My first introduction to the Turtles, I was in the Marines. It was late 80s. I liked comics. I, you know, I read comics. I wasn't a big collector, but I had a friend, one of my fellow Marines, who was a huge collector. And if anybody is old enough, they'll remember that in those days, it was a speculator's market big time. So everybody thought every issue they had was going to be worth a million dollars and it would be their retirement down the line. So did he. So every time we got our little minuscule paycheck we got in the Marines, first place he would want to go, and he was the only guy with a car, so we had to go with him because we wanted to go to the bar. But he, before we went to the bar, we had to go to the comic book shop, and he would buy two of each comic, one that he would read and one that you don't even look at, that this is going to be the one that was worth a million dollars. But he also collected the role-playing game catalogs and magazines and the guides. And so one day, I'm in the barracks, and I'm flipping through it, and there's this ad for this thing called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've never heard of it. And there were the little resin toys that they sold for the role-playing game. And I looked at it, and I looked over at him, and I said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? It's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. What is that? And, he's, and I remember him saying, no, it's really cool. Dude. You should see the comic book. And I remember looking at the, the little resin statues, and they were, the, you know, they were based on the, the Mirage designs. And I thought, 
it does kind of look cool. <laughs> and that was, I, and then from there, because I was in the Marines, we were always busy. We never really got to watch TV a lot, so I wasn't up to date on you know the Fred Wolf stuff that was going on. It was until I came out, and then I was married, and we had children, started to see these things, and then. I, like everybody else, kind of fell in love with the turtles and then kind of took that reverse engineering path of going back to Mirage and then and pulling my way through to the point where our daughter, our youngest daughter, was into the uh, For Kids version, which is a huge inspiration for me. I really like that one. But it always goes back to this. It's just I hadn't seen one of these since then, so it's bizarre that you have them here. The little resin statue that I thought was the goofiest looking and dumbest name I ever heard of to it's the joy of my life now. The action figures, they showcase a lot of the weirdness of yeah. Mirage, but these role-playing books are oh, the are most awesome. off the rails they ever flew. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them don't even have Ninja Turtles in them. They're just like, let's draw a Canadian moose mutant, and here's how you play it. And this, this, this role-playing system, Palladium, it is notorious for being complicated to a degree because mm -hmm. it is so unhinged you can do anything. So they need yes. to make these rule books where you can do anything. And they're just writing histories and crazy backstories probably getting baked and just doing incredible work. <laughs> it was the 80s. <laughs> How about you, Eric? What's your first Turtles experience? Well, I, I tended to live in out-of-the-way places growing up, so I was aware of them just by seeing, here's an episode that ran in syndication, the pilot movie that they did, or here's a t-shirt, or here's some toys, or one of the role-playing books. It wasn't until, gosh, the early 90s, so I was aware of my Southern cartoon, it wasn't until the early 90s and the Archie books until I started seeing them more frequently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew who they were at that point, but I wasn't able to really be exposed to anything in depth. I, I saw uh, one issue of Mirage, two of the uh, cartoon shows, a whole lot of toys, a whole lot of t-shirts, and then the Archie books. So, I mean, it, it kind of it built up until I swung back around to Mirage until I was close enough to a comic shop to get these things. Fandom by a thousand cuts. And, and it's funny to think about now. We live in a world now you can't go, I mean, you can't go to the grocery store or anywhere and you're going to see a Turtles product. Yeah. You're going to see something with the Turtles on it. It doesn't, you can go to Michael's, you can go, it doesn't matter where you go. And and so we kind of take it for granted now, just such a huge part of the zeitgeist. But there was a time when you would have to discover it through like a role-playing game and mm -hmm. just kind of find it by accident. So yeah. the cultural effect and, and the impact it's had is is amazing. And I don't know if it, it, it might not be equal. I honestly wonder sometimes if there's something this big. I mean, other than Star Wars, no. Maybe it's like, Star Wars, it, I mean, yeah. real, but really, Star Wars and Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. they're the most defining things, and in large part because it's creators who were relatively uncompromised. Right. And that just goes to show the power of having creative control, mm -hmm. becoming a franchise on your own terms, because right. otherwise you'll get focus group to death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's true. And mm -hmm. what's interesting about what happened after the sale from Mirage Studios when they sold themselves to Viacom, well, not Mirage Studios itself, but the Turtles' property in, mm -hmm. in its entirety to Viacom, is that though there's still you know an approval process from yes. Nickelodeon, you guys still are pretty damn unrestrained. You know? Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny, and I this was a huge lesson for me, and this is this is interesting. I think, and in, and it's I can relate this to everybody knows the issue we had in uh, IDW uh, number forty four, where it seemed like Donatello had been killed. Well, when we when Viacom first came to us at IDW. You know, obviously they have a brand they're trying to sell here. This is something they spent millions and millions of dollars to buy. And so as a fan, you're like, oh, just let people do what they want. It's the Turtles and that's how it should be. But they were very cautious at the beginning because they knew we were going to try to write a more mature story in the comics. And then they were also simultaneously launching the 2012 show that was really aimed at kids, the, new, the Nickelodeon animated show. So their concern was, and now I see why, that if we do something over here in the IDW Turtles, parents you know are going to see that somehow and then 
associated with the show, which is something totally separate. And they weren't sure how the fans would separate yeah. the, the, the two versions of the Turtles. And so what happened was we were a little more restrained at the beginning. That being said, I say that the caveat being if you've read our series, Issue 5, we have a pretty extreme execution scene that I would never thought they would allow to happen. And then, and they did. And to, to their credit, that was brave. That was very brave of them because they were also trying to launch this show. Now, as time passed, they realized that the fans, you know, there's a Mirage version, the IDW version, video game versions. And so then they felt more relaxed about some of the decisions we were making. And they've been wonderful partners. And they really haven't held us back. I mean, and the stuff that maybe they'll, they'll say they don't want us to do, it wasn't necessary to the story anyway. It wasn't something that we felt like was so important that we had to have it. And those things that we did, like Splinter picking out Shredder in issue 50, were things that they, to their credit, again, allowed to happen in, in a graphic fashion. Now I go back to the Donatello story. This is where I understand how important keeping a brand kind of under control is. So if you haven't read it in that issue, it seems like Bebop and Rocksteady just violently kill Donatello. And everybody assumes at the end of that issue that he's dead. And obviously he wasn't. And there was a story that followed how he was able to recover. But that was a huge cliffhanger. And when we were writing that, I never, none of us, Bobby, Kevin, or I, we didn't expect the reaction we got. We knew there'd be a reaction, but we were so worried about getting to 50 that we weren't even thinking about that reaction. And so Turtles 44 came out Wednesday. On Thursday, I came into the IDW office, and somebody came and said, um, USA Today is on the phone. They want to talk to you. And I said, USA Today? Why do they want to talk to me? And they said, because you killed Donatello. And so what, what it went from there was... I'm thinking, okay, this is, you know, wow, people are paying attention to the comic. This is interesting. To having moms and people calling and us and complaining that we killed Donatello. How is our kid ever going to watch the show again? That was her favorite character. So they, there was confusion that, and then some people who weren't even paying attention to Turtles anymore, all of a sudden Turtles was back on their radar because they said, somebody killed Donatello. I used to love Donatello. So that showed me that there is, you know, maybe a subset of fans or people that are paying attention that aren't completely paying attention. And they thought Donatello dying in our book was that meant Donatello was dead across the board. And that we, that we weren't necessarily just ruining their childhoods, but their children's childhoods. So that was my first lesson where you, you do have to be careful with the brand. And, and I understand when Nickelodeon will step in sometimes or Viacom, but like you said, it's rare. It's very rare. They've been wonderful partners. And I think because they trust the turtle fandom for the most part to understand that they, that these are different iterations and it's going to be more bizarre here than it is there. I hope we can reach, reach a point where there's more transmedia understanding in the world. Oh, like, absolutely. Right? Cause, absolutely. Because like, if anyone who's reading the book would be like, well, Donatello, in other iterations, he's been a cyborg before. Right. So like, he's got metalhead. Right. So what's, what, what could possibly happen? Absolutely. You know? yeah. and, and again, we'll go back to Viacom right now. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows this. I, we have announced it. It's been a long uh, trek to get there, but we are reprinting the image run volume three now at IDW, and we're actually having it recolored. It's going to be colored now. By the way, Adam Guzkowski, who colored the Mirage run for uh, Color Classics, He's doing this book and it's beautiful. But again, that was one of those iterations that was so bizarre, in some ways kind of violent and, and, and weird, that they wanted to wait a little while before we got to that one to yeah. see how fans reacted to comics. But, it, but the fans proved that they know what they're doing, so don't worry about it. They want the, Let's get it out to them. There's been a huge demand and it's gonna be exciting to do. I have a question about that actually. Finishing the image run is probably one of the last things. I knew it would happen eventually, because IDW mm -hmm. has a great history of finishing yes. unfinished business, but like, there's a lot of demand in the letters column for your book of like, when are you going to finish Forever War? When's the Archie series going to resolve? I think that's Bobby's 
that's our next project. We're trying to figure out how we're going to do that too. And I, and I think there was a point where we thought maybe the image thing would never happen because uh, one thing that's interesting about the image book, there's a, a lot of characters that are, are not property of uh, Viacom, so like Savage Dragon and stuff. So a big part of what we yeah. were dealing with was the legality, trying to work out how with Eric Larson and everybody how we could work this out so everybody maintains copyrights and, and all that kind of thing. That's kind of the boring business side to it. Once we got through that, then they were like, all right, finish this thing, bring those guys in, and they're excited. I think now that they, they see it's possible, I think Forever War might be the next thing that we find a way to get it done. That's great. <laughs> I want to take a poll here. How many people have read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures, which is published by Archie? It has been, for the most part, reprinted mm -hmm. at IDW, which is great because the, you guys are collecting stuff right now yeah. that, that has been collected before. What's interesting about that series in particular is that it began as an adaptation of the cartoon show. Right. So you have the colored bandana turtles, you have Shredder and Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady mm -hmm. as you kind of know them. And then it veered wildly into another direction and actively grew with its audience. Right. In doing so, it ended up getting them shut down prematurely, which is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Forever War was this, what would have been the end of the series that mm -hmm. they weren't even allowed to do. That was written by Steve Murphy, who did it under the pen name Dean Clarain. And that was like a direct line from the craziest of Mirage right. to the page. Right. So this character, which was released by Playmates as Hot Stuff, is a warrior dragon character in the book who's yellow instead of red and has a completely different backstory. And a lot of a lot of things like have bled over into there. Mm -hmm. Cuddly the Cowlick, which right. I mentioned, wanting to integrate into the IDW series, is a mm -hmm. he's a floating cow head out in <laughs> Dimension X, which is a region of space, I guess. And he is at the beck and call of Stump and Sling, who run an intergalactic <laughs> wrestling federation. And Stump and Sling are plant creatures of a kind. Yep. And Cuddly slurps up the turtles and then transports them to Dimension X. <laughs> and this happens often. <laughs> where the turtles become wrestlers. Which is like, maybe the greatest action figures they never made that were so obvious. Like right. Doing the wrestling turtles never happened. And But see, that, that this goes to show too, when we're writing, that's one of the things that Bobby and I, I keep in account is, the turtles in and of itself is weird. The whole thing is yes. it, the whole thing is just weird. So we don't have to really work hard to bring in the weird aspect of the comic. We just need to find this, get this weird aspect, some drama and some you know action. It's just all it's already there. It's it's, it's built in. So that's one of the fun things. It's, it's not that we have to really stretch our imaginations to to make it any more bizarre than it already is. We just have to find new adventures for these bizarre characters. <laughs> Have you guys ever read the Dan Slott Turtle miniseries that exists in its own isolatory continuity? I heard of it, and I don't think I've read it, though, but I have heard about it. Gosh, it's super weird. <coughs> yeah. Like, the moment when it came out was super strange, because for anyone who's reading the Archie books, like, it ended abruptly. It advertised this... The, there was a scary-as-hell image of Shredder lifting this Donatello from the future, like, by his collar, and he looks dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's always Donnie. Uh, <laughs> and... And then it's like, okay, so now here's two more issues about uh, the turtles when they were kids, and the book's gone unceremoniously. Yeah. And then several months later, this three-part miniseries from, or maybe four parts from this like no-name writer called Dan Slott shows up <laughs> with this turtles thing. It's like the story so far is already already <laughs> ongoing, and like Michelangelo is like a human boy, and there's Power Rangers in it. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> it's so strange. I, wonder what, I have to look in our server see if we have any of those <laughs> scanned in our files. Yeah, that would be awesome. Eric, what's your favorite weird corner of Turtles? Well, the thing I was just thinking about, and it goes back to the licensing thing that Han was talking about before, I did some short stories for a magazine over in Europe that tied into the 2012 series, and how tightly they had on that was they would look at the stuff and say, this joke that you made where he becomes a holographic Yeti, you can't do that because 
in a year and a half, we're going to have an episode on the air where there's a Yeti. Mm-hmm. So don't use Yetis. That was more weird to me. It's just like, okay, so, you know, two years down the line, there's a similar bit of weirdness. And I find that more weird than, you know, <laughs> some of the strangeness in the books. You know what I mean? You're using Yeti too often. But it's in a book nobody in the U.S. is going to see. And it's two years later. So, but I mean, um, other than that, gosh, he, he covered it. The wrestling was uh, was a favorite just, just because I didn't expect it. We, we actually brought wrestling back and you in, did, in yes. the book. Yep. The, the Dimension X miniseries you guys did mm-hmm. was one of the best moments of the IDW series. because Well, the, the way you, you, you folks handled it in terms of how it came out is as a weekly book leading right. into this like issue 75, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So the turtles go on this quest to get witnesses to prove that Krang should be like tried as a war criminal. <laughs> and and it's got all these characters from TMNT Adventures in it, like Maligna, the Bug Queen, and mm-hmm. Stump and Sling. Ace Duck. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Can you talk about plotting that? Like that because that's like like a magical mystery tour for the Ninja Turtles, that book. Th- that's kinda of one of those things where when one on the business side, IDW was looking for a five-week event. There's a, Every once in a while, there's a five-week month, and it's really nice to get, kind of get the retailer something to uh, kind of promote in that month. So Turtles was chosen, and it was perfect timing because we needed to tell the story in 75, coming from 74, but we would have needed five issues to tell the story. Well, we just decided to move it over into the five-issue event. And what was nice about that was we brought in other writers and creators, and they had their ideas for the stories they wanted to tell. So we, really, plotting-wise, we gave them a general idea, just exactly what you said. We said, look, the turtles got to go on an adventure. They're going to help the neutrinos find five witnesses that are going to testify against Krang. Some are going to be more uh, compliant and participate more easily than the others. And we let them choose how their character would react. And so we had like Aubrey Sitterson and some other writers come in. My favorite though was, um, I'm a big fan of Devin Grayson, uh, who's a writer that worked for DC many years in Marvel. And we reached out to her and she said yes. And that was like, for me as a fanboy, that was a huge thing because I I love her work. And that was it, we let them run with it. And again, it was like one of those things where here's all these weird characters, run with it. And and they did. And so that's exciting for me because then I come back to 75 and I kind of get the template from those writers and those artists for the characters to bring into our yeah, book. It's like and the then setup play of with them. like whose line is anyway. Like get all these factors and Absolutely. go. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And it was a lot of fun. You know, and like like I said, there's a lot of freedom in the Dimension X stories, mainly because the turtles can fit in without being outcast or mutants. So they can participate more because we're you know, when when they're in New York, they gotta hide. They gotta you know, they gotta look out from being spotted. In this case, they're about as normal as it can be in Dimension X. And so it kinda opens up the storyline a little bit. Eric, what's your favorite storyline you've worked on for Turtles? 
the Secret History was was the best, but that was uh, Mateus's baby. And then uh, because I like writing Karai so much, the Karai's Path that was in the Universe was was my other favorite. But um, those were the longer forms. I've, I've loved every single one of the micro series I got to write. Splinter. Mm. That I mean, that was my first turtles writing thing too, and I got I got to kind of uh, influence his personality for the book. So you know, I, I guess going through all of them, that's that's going to be my ultimate favorite. And then the uh, crime miniseries second, and Secret History third. The um, Team into Universe has done a great job of mm. exploring, uh, just making that world bigger. Yeah, there's a lot of talent working on that book. Mm. How do you folks decide? Like, so what are we going to attempt to do with this book? It could be anything. <laughs> really, it was almost desperation. What's going on was. As we, you know, you start with issue one, and next thing you know, you're in issue fifty. Next thing you know, you're in issue seventy-five. Naturally, your cast grows, the the plot lines grow, and you can't keep up with it all in, in the monthly book. And so we had a meeting, and, and we thought that you know fans were ready for a second book on the shelves. And so we we said, how, what do we want it to be? Do we want it to just kind of be its own thing, or do we want it to tie into the uh, ongoing? And I said, please, please let it tie into the ongoing because what that did was it covered ground I just couldn't cover in the storylines and the ongoing there just wasn't enough room so that's what we decided to do and then the nice thing was that you know we've got Bobby Kernow as our editor he's been the editor since the beginning he's fantastic about finding the correct artist the proper artist for these things and the proper writers and so we've found different writers like Eric and Paula Lauren and other folks that collaboratively work just in sync with us they're they're ready to be part of the team and are willing to do you know what we need them to do while at the same time having their own creative freedom to kind of expand it themselves. And like I said, it's kind of like having these toys on the table and somebody hands it to me like, oh, I'm going to do this with this toy. They give me toys from yeah. the universe that then I can say, okay, I'm going to take this toy in this direction now. And it's, it's nice to have that because our universe would not be richer, as rich as it is, without the universe books and, and some of the side stories. Matter of fact, we mentioned uh, Secret History of the, the Foot Clan. When I, when I came up with the resurrection idea, I thought that was a cool idea and I thought, I thought that would work really well. But to me, what solidified the idea was when they took it to the next level with the uh, Secret History of the Foot Clan story and set, that was set in feudal Japan. And then now I, I realized, again, the turtle god spoke to me and I answered with the resurrection story, but then it, it wasn't mine anymore. It, it belonged to this universe that we're creating and it just showed me all the possibilities, so many possibilities, especially with feudal Japan and, and later on with the Pantheon characters, Kitsune, that it wasn't just a new origin, it just opened doors to new and exciting stories that had never been told before. And so for me, that was a moment where I felt like, if you want to say it's like your baby, you mm -hmm. kind of like let your baby out to the world and, and that baby grows up. And yeah. I was so excited when I saw the, what they did. The Pantheon is one of the most unique additions to the IDW universe, which is, for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's kind of a very Miyazaki-inspired yeah. group of demigods that are all influencing the turtles' lives, and some of them have been the entire time, and mm -hmm. some of them are more tertiary. Yeah. Jaguar from TMNT Adventures has been reincarnated mm -hmm. as a female goddess as part of the Pantheon. Yeah, she's kind of like a kind of like a angry Wonder Woman. The issues that went to the like the frog realm mm -hmm. were Toad Baron. Toad Baron, yeah. That was some wild stuff. And guess what? In issue 81, we're back in Toad Baron land. So oh, we're going we're to do some stuff there. Toad Baron, uh, we're actually we're exploring the Pantheon in the next arc that's coming up again. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So cool. we can kind of get learn more information about them. There's something that I've always wanted some clarity on. Um, Alapex, she's been adapted into the most recent Nickelodeon mm -hmm. series. And Brian Lynch created her. Mm -hmm. But she seems so much a sister to the concept of Ninjara from... 
TMNT Adventures. And you know, I never talked about it. I think there might have been inspiration there. And the funny thing is, when Brian came in, some of our key characters in our book came from those micro-series, and they were never... There's characters that we take for granted now, like Harold Lilja and Alapex, and even like a character that we created called Jenica, that these were characters that were fulfilling a role in that issue. We had you know, no intent, or and I'm sure Brian never expected it, to take characters that he created in those micro-series and then bring them into the ongoing and then have them play pivotal roles. But the thing is, I'm in a unique position where I get to write, but then I also get to be a fan. So you know, Brian brought these books to us, and I'm reading them, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm not going to keep this character. This character is so cool, and Alapex was one that's like, how do you not continue with Alapex? How do you not? Harold is a perfect, perfect partner to Donatello, you yeah. know. And so what happens then is, as a fan, I get again take those toys and, and bring them in. And Alapex was one of those characters that there was just no way she was going away. And right. it was funny because I don't know if people know who Brian Lynch is, but if you've ever seen movies like Minions and uh, Secret Life of Pets and stuff, he's the writer of all those movies. So he's 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 not small potatoes in this business by any means. And what, what, what happened was when we brought Alapex into the main story, he sent us an email. He's like, oh, thank you so much, because he's such a huge fan of Turtles. He's like, oh, thank you so much. This is a, one of the proudest moments of my life. And I think that's, that's again, what, if you look at all these different characters, they're, they're so unique and they're so fun that it's hard to let any of them go. Yeah. And so when they, when they bring them into our, the stories that are outside of our ongoing, if, if they work, they work, and, and we find a place for them. Yeah. So, fun story about the influence of Ninja Turtles. This role-playing book, Transdimensional Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, has a bunch of dinosaurs in here. There's a whole heading for mutant dinosaurs. Here's a pterodactyl with a gun and ammo belt strapped to him, just screaming his head off. But this guy right here, Sorenoid. Has anyone read Atomic Robo? Yeah. No way. Is that Dr. Dinosaur? This is the inspiration for Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah, Brian Clevenger, he played this character one time, which evolved eventually into Dr. Dinosaur. Turtles everywhere. And influence of turtles everywhere, especially mm -hmm. like right now, like we're all the right age. <laughs> I see that thing and I'm remembering it and yeah. it, uh, no, it, it reminds me of just as an aside, Dinosaurs for Hire. Dinosaurs for Hire? Do you not know Dinosaurs for Hire? I don't think I do. Oh Lord. Uh, it was it was another independent book and um, it had a video game, it had you know some stuff, but uh, they were alien dinosaurs. One was, he was a Tyrannosaurus wrestling in a leather jacket and a you know Stegosaurus who had a gun fetish and an eye patch and, uh, <laughs> and Triceratops in a Hawaiian shirt. It was just, I mean, you know, I, I thought of it because the pterodactyl was, was another one of the dinosaurs for hair. And it, it was, that was a weird book and I can only imagine the turtles inspired that too, you know. Yeah, what, what year did that come out? It came out twice. It was, a, it was an 80s book and then it got relaunched in the 90s under Malibu. Wow, yeah. that's, that's crazy. Like flipping through these things, and I don't know if they're ever going to be republished. I do know that there's a collection of all the work that Kevin and Peter did collaboratively, like covers together, that's coming out from IDW, which is going to have at least some of the material from this. Yeah. But in terms of the actual books, they're pretty hard to find, and they are just full of the wildest ideas. I think the funny thing is that we can repackage them. It's certainly something I know we talk about, and maybe there's some certain legalities involved, but. This is the time for role-playing games and, and mm. Dungeon and Dragon style games again, for sure. I mean, this is it's, it's a hot commodity, so I'd love to see it. What's your favorite adaptation you've done of a character? Yeah, particularly peculiar one. Hmm. Well, I can tell you while he's thinking. Uh, yeah. We we tried several times to uh, because of the fans asking for it to sneak in a character not moves of Tatsu, which is you can't use that name. Oh, Try, they yeah. finally just said straight out you can't use that name. Yeah. Try it again in in the Karai miniseries. So we said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna use this name. He said, no. So we changed the name of the character. It's also an actual name, Tanatsu. 
<laughs> they got they got the joke. They got it. They got yeah. a big kick out of that. So that's that's how we we brought in Tatsu. It was, it was Tatsu. So, yeah. I, that's I, really think, great. I think I think for me, um, the character I've had the most fun with that we've probably changed most drastically is Rat King. And, and here's the reason we did it. There's there's two reasons. One, it was just done so well before, and I and I love that character in the Mirage books and, and the other book. I felt like I didn't want to do it because. I couldn't top it. That not not that version of that that character. There's just no way. So we we said maybe we'll make him a little different this time. And so my mind just immediately went to the Pied Piper of Hamlin. You know, if he's Rat King, he's the King of Rats. And my fir the first story that popped in my head was was the Pied Piper. So I thought let's make it like some kind of like twisted Pied Piper character. And then this is a, an example of how one thing leads to another. Then. The Pantheon was born from that because we thought, well, if there's this this character that's kind of immortal that was, you know, in Europe doing these things, and somehow he's found himself his way to New York. Well, we have the Kitsunis over here because kids. There, there was no, it wasn't deliberate, you know, initially that they were related, they were siblings. But then when we were thinking about, it, we said it's kind of a similar character that she was in Asia in Japan, yeah. and then now she's has these evil machinations that she's planning here in New York City, and then we thought. Maybe they're related. Then from there, this is where the imagination starts running wild. It's like, what other weird characters can we think of? Maybe every region of the world has one of these characters, and they're related. And that's how the Pantheon was born. Yeah. But it was literally from, I was too terrified to try to tackle Rat King as he was. That was fine with me. He's good. I can't beat that. Let's make our own Rat King, too. Now we have a whole family of weird, bizarre, immortal characters that were never intended. I actually felt like your version of Rat King is an interesting sort of conceptual successor to how Rat King ended up in Raj. Like yeah. In Volume 4 of Ninja Turtles, when Splinter dies, mm -hmm. for no reason that I believe has ever been elaborated on, you see this like presence of Rat King hovering in a doorway. I don't think Peter Lair has ever explained that. Then Volume 4 is you know famously mm -hmm. unconcluded up to Pete whenever he wants to do that. But that I felt like having him be this like this being, this godlike yeah. being, like that sort of almost spoke to that moment in right, a way. Right, and, and he's, he was always kind of manipulative even then. And now, you know, it's, it's maybe it's, it's, it was pretty overt, some of the stuff he was doing. But this, this Rat King, he's kind of, you know, he is that Rat King in a sense. He's kind of our Joker. Yeah. He, he loves chaos. He, he just loves chaos for chaos' sake. And so we're, we're having a lot of fun playing with that. But what's, what's interesting is he's the Rat King, and you would automatically think that Splinter would be his main target. But the one he's most fascinated with is Leonardo. He sees something in Leonardo that he wants to play with the most, so that's the mind he, he goes to. And then what we're finding in the story is Leonardo happens to be the one that's learning how, because of all the stuff he's gone through with Kitsune and all that, to fight back against Rat King. And so that's the, it's a fun challenge for Rat King. This is the one that, that kind of is my equal right now on this astral plane. So it's been a lot of fun to play with. That's rad. Mirage, as a house of ideas, in the 90s, they were raking in so much money from all these toys and, and games and everything. People obviously, they went to them and they said, so what else you got? And this is one of, I haven't been able to dive too deep into this, but this is one of the greatest like untold stories of the Turtles universe, I feel, is what Mirage developed that you've never seen before. And obviously they, they sold the Turtles to Viacom, but all this other stuff stayed with them. I know something about like a sci-fi sci story about werewolves that was all developed by Mirage. And then also the thing that came closest to full development from Mirage Studios is something called Mom Stars. It was being developed by Mattel and was a line of dolls of moms that were classic movie monsters. <laughs> then this apparently got all the way to the prototype stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's other stuff out there. There's a bigger story of Mirage as a brain trust of, of people. Yeah, Kevin talks about that a lot when I, when I talk to him. And, and one of the things that, that he said was kind of a, where he was burning out a little bit, which was, was it became such a monster 
the, you know, not just Turtles, but then the Mirage brand, that he he felt like it became 10% of his job was being able to be creative and 90% was licensing and marketing and, and, and getting all that stuff, you know, approved and, and reviewed. And he said he, he missed the creative aspect of it. And that's a big reason he stepped away was it just he wanted to get back to being a comic book creator because it became so much of a, of, of a huge business. Yeah. Yeah, and unprecedented, really. The scale is just amazing to me, the stuff they were doing. I think I, I was just happy that uh, the Turtles and uh, their line through Playmates brought my attention to Yusagi Jimbo. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if, if they hadn't blown up and had the toy line, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have found this book, so mm -hmm. I, was, I was glad. Has everybody seen the pilot for Space Usagi that was made in the early 90s? It's on YouTube now. If not, you gotta check it out. This was Mirage's next big bid to make a splash, and it unfortunately never got picked up. I don't know necessarily why they went with Space Usagi particularly, but it could have been a hit of some kind. But it was difficult because it was as the Turtles' popularity was waning. Mm -hmm. um, and the Mighty Mutanimals, the other mutant team that was created for the Archie comics that's been brought back in IDW and also in the Nickelodeon series, there was a moment where they were like, alright, so we only have the time and energy and staff to create one show to pitch out in the world and very publicly in the Mutanimals comic book at the time they said alright we're, we're not doing the comic anymore we're closing it down and we're going to do this animated series if it gets picked up great but what they went with was Space Usagi instead and in fact aside from some concept art for, um, for the Mighty Mutanimals series which has been released online many years back now it didn't go anywhere and then they ended up killing Mutanimals as like a, a very like I, I talked to Steve Murphy about it it was a moment of you know, extreme nihilism this is how we end yeah it's like I, you know, it, didn't, it didn't happen so burn it all to the ground and fun fact Ninjara was a member of the Mutanimals in the cartoon show she was the de facto girl character it's funny you bring that up one of the things I think we've been successful with and, and we it's definitely this is deliberate is this idea that there should be no like like de facto female character for yeah. that Females and males exist in the real world. Females and males should exist in the imaginary world, and they should be equals, and they should be equally represented. You know, and then, and that's one of the things that we have a lot of fun with. We have diversity of characters, um, both you know races and genders, sometimes species, and it's one of the things that I think has really helped keep our fan base active and involved. Is that not only is there a turtle for everyone, I think that there's a character for everyone, somebody that they can really relate to. Characters like Nobody, and even our April O'Neil, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I, that to me keeps it interesting for me too, because it, the you know the world's full of interesting characters, and it should be the same in the, in the books. So on that note of inclusion, that's where we're going to end things today, and I'm sure this won't be the last time that I talk about Ninja Turtles. I talk about Ninja Turtles plenty on a regular basis on Lightning Dogs, the official podcast, the podcast documentary that chronicles all of the character development, world building and so on, going into our animated series Lightning Dogs, as well as the journey of actually trying to break into the animated industry and get this thing made. You can find that and all kinds of concept art and more info at lightningdogs.com. If you love the Ninja Turtles, well, I think you'll probably dig Lightning Dogs. But that project and this very program would not be possible without listener support. Nerdy Show is kept alive on a monthly basis via our listeners. If you dig the show, then please do go to patreon.com slash nerdyshow and contribute there. We have a ton of bonus content, as well as the ability to get early releases, and some of that bonus content is actually extended discussions from our prior Ninja Turtles episodes. If you just dug this one episode, well, first of all, you should totally check out the rest. But if you just want to leave us a tip for this, that's cool, you can do that too. Head to nerdyshow.com support and leave a one-time donation. Or 
and this goes for everybody, head to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. Maybe leave a review if you got the extra time. You can also go to Podchaser. You can rate and review this specific episode. It really does mean the world. Much like Mirage Studios, we're an independent outlet making crazy shows and taking a gamble on our hopes and dreams, so we hope you'll take a gamble on us too. Otherwise, we got nothing. Look forward to other panels from North Carolina Comic Con in the near future, including a Ghostbusters one with Eric Burnham and Tom Waltz, along with myself and Doug Banks, the game master of Ghostbusters Resurrection, our Ghostbusters role-playing audio drama that we do here on the Nerdy Show Network. We talk about the comics, the Ghostbusters multiverse, and a lot of other cool stuff. That specific panel is going to be coming to the Ghostbusters Resurrection feed. So if you want to hear that, do go to gbrpg.com or find the show on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Next week's episode of Nerdy Show, that's still a bit in flux. I'll still be on the move. Maybe I'll be able to record something here in Nashville with some members of Nerdy Show who you haven't heard from in quite a while. That's certainly possible. But I do know that either next week or in the very near future, we're going to be doing an episode with Jazzy from the incredible video game art and merch collective Fangamer. She's making super surreal, highly unusual, and very, very awesome animations in Mario Paint. And if you think you know what that means or what that might look like, oh, trust me, you've never seen anything like this before. So stay tuned for that coming very soon. And you'll hear a standard issue Nerdy Show episode of myself and the crew talking about the latest in pop culture pretty soon. But hey, we hope you've enjoyed this journey of a bunch of different interview and specialty episodes, and there's more where that came from. Let us know what you enjoy the most. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, on iTunes, our Discord, Reddit, wherever you do social stuff on the internet. Or send us an email, info at nerdyshow.com. Why the hell not? Anyhow, I'll see you next week. 